the revelation of Jesus Christ, the messages to the seven churches. Now, that's where we're going to pick it up this evening. I don't think we'll make it to all seven churches. I only made it through the first church in the first service. But I think it's an important set of lessons that I trust that we learn something from it. Again, these seven churches are marked in red on the map up there, and each of them shows a little symbol uh, that's supposed to be like a church, a building with a cross on the top, so that you would know where these churches were located. All seven of these churches, the Apostle Paul was responsible for planting these churches. And we're going to begin uh, this evening with Revelation chapter 2. And the Apostle John writes to the church of Ephesus, to the church called Loved. That's what the name Ephesus means. It means loved. To the church that's called Ephesus, loved. Christ comes as he which has the seven stars in his hand. Now, by the way, the seven stars he already defined for us back in chapter one. These were the messengers of the seven, of the seven churches. The stars are the messengers. Then he goes on and he says that he walks among the seven candlesticks. The seven candlesticks were the seven churches. So you have the stars, seven stars, were the seven messengers that were sent by the churches to meet with the Apostle John. Then you have the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. And I'm going to make further comment on that when we get to it. And he says that they have left their first love. That's verse 4. The only criticism that he has for this church is that they've left their first love. He says, overcomers eat of the tree of life. So let's take a look at how he begins. First of all, what was Ephesus like? Last week, I showed you a picture of the Celsius Library of Ephesus. Ephesus and Pergamos and Alexandria in Egypt. All three of them were in competition with each other as to who could have the biggest library of the world. I haven't heard of anybody trying to have the biggest library of the world since the first century. I don't know if libraries still say, like, we've got more books than any other library. I'm not sure if any of the books would have been of any value. Ephesus was one of those places that wanted to have the reputation for having the biggest library in the world. And certainly their building, which was three stories high, was magnificent. I'm sure that probably UCLA has a bigger library than that now. If it's like uh, when I went to the university, they have floors below the ground level as well that are um, filled with uh, books as well. So I'm sure CSUN has a bigger library than this now. But this was a huge library 
for its day. Remember that all the books had to be hand copied. Then you have the theater of Ephesus. I'm trying to show you at least a couple of things that would remind you about this city. It was in this theater, you remember, that there was an uprising. It's at the end of the plaza, the area where all the businesses were, and they had an uprising there where they screamed for hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Do you remember that? Well, actually, the name Diana is not found in in our Bible. Uh, She was called Artemis, and Artemis is a different goddess. Diana was a Roman goddess, and apparently they thought that she was the closest in English to Artemis, but now we can actually find Artemis, Artemis, um, as she is called in Greek, uh, Artemis in English, uh, was a different goddess. Uh, Diana is always shown with a bow and arrow. She was the goddess of hunting. Um, Artemis was the goddess of fertility. So what did her idol look like? Well, that was Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. Do you see that she's covered with breasts? She was very fertile. Even her hair has breasts in it. Um, This was the goddess of fertility, Artemis. What did John write to this church? This was a very famous city. It was one of the largest cities in the entire Roman Empire. He wrote to the church there, unto the angel, that word angelos, messenger, the messenger of the church of Ephesus, right. John is writing and he expects this, uh, this book to be carried, um, and he's making copies of it as he writes it, by the messenger that was sent from Ephesus to him, he expects him to carry it back. The angel, don't think of some winged creature uh, who's normally invisible to man. No, this is the physical man who was chosen by the church to go and meet with the Apostle John. John had requested one member from each of these seven churches to come. And they had sent messengers, which are called angelos in Greek, messengers. Um, These things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars, in his right hand. Now, what were the seven stars again? The seven messengers from the churches. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ holds the messengers of the church in his hand. Okay? These were important men to him. who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What were the, the, the 
candlesticks, what were they? The churches. Who walks amongst us in our church? Jesus Christ says, I walk in the churches. I am present walking in the churches. I find another thing here that I marvel at. The candlestick itself has no light in and of itself. Do you understand that? Our church has no light. Not by ourselves. We could have a million people as members of our church. We still wouldn't have any light. Because the light of the world is Christ. Amen? Amen. What the church has is that we are the ones that bear the light. We carry the light. But we are not the light. Jesus Christ is the light that we're carrying. We're candlesticks. I further notice the value. He says the seven candlesticks are golden. They're golden candlesticks. Now candlesticks normally are only used to either contain the oil so that the oil burns and gives light or a candle um, where the candle burns and gives light. But you don't normally make unless you happen to be Trump, you wouldn't make your candlestick out of gold, okay? Um, normally, at the time, a candlestick would have been made out of porcelain, out of ceramic, out of metal, but not gold. A golden candlestick means that it was precious in and of itself. Do you realize just how precious Bible Baptist Church is to Christ? He could have said, I just walk amongst the candlesticks. He didn't have to say what they were made out of. But he makes a special point of saying that our candlestick is made out of gold. In his eyes, the church was worth dying for. It was worth shedding his blood for. We are a golden candlestick. He goes on. <clears throat> I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles and are not. And hast found them liars. Wow. Do you think anything that you just read sounds negative? I don't think so. <laughs> In all honesty, I would hope 
that Jesus Christ would at least say this much good about Bible Baptist Church. He says, I know thy labor, your patience. Wow. They not only labored, but they were patient in laboring. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't say, well, the Lord hasn't returned yet this year. I'm going to quit. Um, I'd rather move somewhere else. I'd rather be doing something else. No. This church continued on. They labored arduously. They didn't give up. They were patient. And then he says, you cannot bear them which are evil. What a church. This church was filled with a bunch of separatists. They couldn't stand for evil in their church. They didn't want to count on numbers. They wanted to count on the blessing of Christ. They looked at things and they said, you know something? If we have to survive by accepting things that should not be accepted, then we're just not going to survive. We're going to survive only because Jesus Christ blesses us. Therefore, we're not going to support, we're not going to stand for evil in our midst. Thou hast tried them that say they are apostles. Now this church actually had at least two apostles. One of them founded the church. That was the Apostle Paul. They had some of the greatest preachers of the first century. They had Paul, who had received all of his yeshiva, his seminary training. He was a rabbi, according to Jewish law. And he was always accepted as a rabbi. He could go into any synagogue and deliver a sermon in Hebrew. A very smart man, very studied man. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Still one of the most renowned rabbis in the history of Judaism. And they had the Apostle John, who had spent more than three years of his life walking from place to place with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, listening to him. Now, it was in Ephesus that John had been grabbed up, had been boiled in oil, and did not die from it. 
He was, when they saw they couldn't kill him, they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos where they thought that they would get rid of him where he would have no more influence at all. And it was on the Isle of Patmos that John finally sat down and wrote the book of Revelation. So he had pastored this church. Alongside him had been many other famous pastors. Timothy had pastored this church. So had Epaphras. This church had labored so arduously. Do you realize that they sent out missionaries while the Apostle Paul was there and planted churches in Colossus, in Laodicea, um, in Hierapolis. These were all places that this church was responsible for seeing things happen in. And John recognizes that. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Wouldn't you like it to know that he said this about Bible Baptists? Boy, nothing would please me more. I know you people. I know what you've done. I know how thousands of men have studied the word of God because of your efforts. I know that you've participated in this. I have seen the effect of it. Yeah, I know thy works. Nothing escapes from the eye of our Lord. Amen. He knows exactly what we're doing. There's no hiding from him. You can't turn out the lights and say, well, now he doesn't see me anymore. This morning, as I read those verses, and one of them says, you know, of Israel and Isaiah, look, you think that God doesn't see that you're going to escape because God doesn't see and he doesn't care. Well, God cares and he sees. When he says you've tried these men that say they're apostles and are not, he's again referring to the proofs of an apostle. What kind of proofs were there that someone was an apostle? Well, he gives us some of those proofs in the Bible. First of all, the prophet or an apostle had to be a Jew. It was absolutely necessary. There was no getting around this. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 17 says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet 
from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Now, I marvel at this. First of all, he says that the prophet would be raised up, verse 15, from the midst of thee. Moses was speaking this to the Jewish people in the desert before they went into the land of Israel. He says, every future prophet is going to be raised up from the midst of thee, from the midst of Israel. He's going to be like me, Moses says. He's going to have all the same qualifications that Moses had. Moses was uh, an offspring of the children of Israel. He was from the tribe of Levi. According to what they desired, he says, in Horeb, when God spoke in thunderous voice to the children of Israel, they said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Okay? That was their response. He goes on. He says, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, what a big mistake. God was directly speaking to the children of Israel. He was directly telling them what they needed. He was telling them what they had to do and how he was going to take care of them. And the children of Israel said, Lord, don't speak directly to us anymore. And don't let us see this fire anymore because this could kill us lest we die not. Now, I thought that was a big mistake. But then Moses goes on and he says, And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. God says the children of Israel are right. If I speak directly to man, man is going to die. I'm going to speak through a prophet. So Moses says the Lord will raise up a prophet from the midst of Israel, from among the Jewish people. And it is in response to the petition of the Jewish people that God not speak to them directly anymore, but that he speak to them through a prophet. I will raise them up a prophet. Second and third qualifications of a prophet. The prophet had to be called by God, directly by God. 
not by another prophet, not by another apostle. The prophet or, or apostle had to be called directly by God. And the prophet had to receive all of his words directly in his mouth from God. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. God says, I'll raise him up. And will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Prophet had to be called of God. He had to receive all the words directly from God. He had to be Jewish. In the fourth and fifth place, the prophet had to prophesy in the name of God. And the prophet could not prophesy uh, in the name of a false god. You remember how he ended the last verse? He said, which he shall speak in my name. And then he goes on and says, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. Yeah. What is God's name? If it says the name of God, well, what's God's name? Not all at once, please. Yahweh. Yahweh. God's name is Yahweh. The prophet had to prophesy in the name of Yahweh, Jehovah, as it has it in our Bibles. Yahweh. Now, if the prophet prophesied one day in the name of Yahweh and the next day in the name of Baal or Ashtoreth or Artema, Artemis or some other goddess or god, this man was not a prophet. He was only permitted to prophesy in the name of Yahweh the name of the God of the Bible. Otherwise, the Jewish people were to get rid of that man. That prophet shall die. In the sixth place, the prophet had to show signs. Deuteronomy 18, 21 to 22. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, and that's Yahweh, capitalized, L-O-R-D. If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. 
Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. Because he says here um, that if the thing follow not, that was in verse 22, right there. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, what thing? If you're talking about um, some prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet, obviously you can't wait and say, well, I think this book may be biblical, but hey, it hasn't always, it hasn't happened yet. You realize there were hundreds of years between Micah 5.2 writing that Bethlehem Judah was going to be the birthplace um, of the Messiah. Okay? Hundreds of years. Nobody's going to hold the book around for hundreds of years and wait to see if it comes to pass. There are many of the prophecies in Thessalonians in the book of Revelation that have not yet been fulfilled. We have to know now if this is if this is scripture or not. We can't wait until the second coming of Christ and say, oh, I guess it was um, a legitimate book of the Bible. No, it's talking about the signs. If the signs of the prophet do not happen, if the prophet comes and says, Peter and John went up to the temple and they found a lame man who thought they were going to give him money. And he said, silver and gold have I none. Right? I'm sure the lame man, when he heard that, wasn't real happy. But he became happy pretty quick after that. Because they said, such as we have, we'll give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the way, Jesus, Yahweh, Salva, uh, Yahweh Savior, Yahoshua, okay? Yahweh Savior. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Now, if the man had just kept on lying there, then Peter and John would have been no prophets, no apostles. Nobody would have believed them then when they went into the temple and said, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. The same has become the head of the corner. And there is no salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 that followed them telling the lame man to stand up and walk. Amen? That proved that they were speaking on behalf of God. They had to show a sign. And the sign was healing a man who was lame. You come to this passage, and God talks about signs. The prophet had to be Jewish. 
but he also had to show signs. Wasn't just enough that he was Jewish. It wasn't enough that he said, God has called me. It wasn't enough that he said, God put the words in my mouth. No, he had to show a sign and prove that he had been called of God to be a prophet. They had tried those that said they were apostles and were not. Moses goes on in Deuteronomy 12, verse 32 to 13, verse 1, which is only one verse more. Um, he says, what things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereunto, thereto, nor diminish from it. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder. Yeah. Part of what a prophet had to do was show a sign to prove that he was a prophet. But that brings us to the seventh qualification. The prophecy of the prophet had to be in agreement with known revelation. If I come to you and say, I'm a prophet, and I just received a revelation from God, and the world is flat, and carried around on the back of four giant tortoises, which, by the way, happened to be the belief of the Greeks at the time of the writing of the Bible, okay? Greek mythology had that the world was flat, it was square. You, you don't think that people believe that till today? Do you know that there are crazy people that write to me because I'm pastor at Bible Baptist Arlita? There are people that write to me and say, I'd like to add another book to the Bible. You're Bible Baptist, so you must have the authority to do this. I've been trying to find out who has the authority to add my new book to the Bible. Uh, excuse me. I don't have any authority to add your book to the Bible. I get letters from people in my email. I've even had letters from somebody who said they were going to kill me because I wouldn't listen to their prophecy. But I, I get letters from people that say, the world is flat and it's square. And the Bible says so. Folks, if I had time to do nothing but answer this kind of stupidity, um, I would surely have all kinds. Yeah, I'd need like 48 hours in a day um, and probably 100 days in a week just to be able to answer all of these kind of things. But there are honestly people today and they believe that the sun revolves around the earth. They say Galileo was wrong. Um, and, and they'll quote some verse from the Bible that they misinterpret to mean that the sun revolves around the earth. Do you realize that these kind of people are out there? Clearly, the Bible says the world is round. 
It's not square. And it's hung on nothing, not carried around on the back of four giant tortoises. We can trust our Bible. Known revelation. The man is no prophet who denies known revelation of the word of God. So he says... And if the sign or wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage and thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put away evil, put, so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Okay, the church at Ephesus had tried them that said they were apostles and were not. John continues in Revelation, speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says in chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, and has borne, you've carried the load, even when others didn't carry it. You have borne, you have carried that load and has patience. For the second time, he talks about their labor and their patience. And for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. He doesn't use the Greek word here that just means you've worked a little bit. No, you've labored. You've done the hard things. You've arduously labored. Nevertheless, he says in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Wow. They had done so much. They were serving God. They just forgot what it was all about. They got wrapped up in everything else. They forgot why they were serving God. They forgot to love him. 
as they did in the beginning. This church had suffered tremendously. You remember it was in this church where the silversmiths had gotten together and were crying out, great is Diana of the Ephesians, and had drugged the, the men there into the, um, to the theater, and they were screaming. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to do away with the church. They persecuted the Christians. And Jesus says, you remember how you loved me? You were willing to suffer anything for me. You're not willing to suffer at all anymore. I can't get you to move across the street now, much less be drugged into the theater and have thousands of people screaming for your death. Don't fall back on telling me how much you loved me at one time. I want you to love me now. So easy for us to forget why we're serving God. Amen? Because if we're not serving him because we love him, it's all in vain. So John here reminds them. Jesus says, you've left your first love. I don't know how many times a day I tell Elaine that I love her and how many times a day that she tells me that she loves me. I don't even know anymore. I can remember back years ago, I read a joke. It was of an old married couple. Look who's talking, right? They had been married for more than 50 years. Look at who's talking. And they were sitting on the front porch of their house. And the wife says to her husband, honey, do you love me? And he turns to her and he says, well, what did I tell you the day that we got married? Well, that day you told me that you loved me. Well, if anything changes, I'll let you know. Folks, how long has it been? Since you just bowed your head and said, I love you, Lord. I love you because you've loved me so much. Lord, I love you for all that you've done for me. And Lord, nothing that I could ever do would ever deserve the love that you've shown me. But Lord, today, I just want you to know, again, I love you. And I thank you for loving me. 
It behooves us to remember. We're not just here to perform a job. The job that we do, the work that we do, is because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing I have against you, you left your first love. You've gone about doing all these good things for many years now, but you've forgotten why you do them. Come back to your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Jesus says, you've fallen. When you left your first love, you fell from that love. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Uh, what was the candlestick again? Church. Ah, yeah, the church. Do you remember the pictures I showed you of Ephesus? What did you not see? A church. Ephesus no longer has a Bible-believing church. It's in the middle of a very strong Muslim country. The day came when Jesus had to remove the candlestick and it went somewhere else. Let us fear lest he remove our candlestick as well. And when Jesus removes the candlestick, folks, this building could be used to house monkeys or anything else because it's no longer a church. And the same thing that happened to Ephesus could happen to us if we forget to love him above all. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, later I'm going to get into the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. But Nico, Nikau, um, is the Greek word that means to overcome, to victor over something. Nike, the shoe company, the word Nike, Nike in Greek, Nike, means victory. The word Nicolaitans begins with the word victor. And then it has laity. What are the laity? It's another Greek word. It comes from laos, 
in Greek, people, the common man. You see, there were already people in the church saying, well, I'm higher up. You're nothing. You're just laity. You're just a common man. Uh, you don't have my education. You don't have this or that or the other thing that I have. And these people all rose to the leadership. And the church was divided between people that said they were important, they were the real church, just like at John MacArthur's, where the church has no vote at all. Just the elders of the church vote on everything. Nicolaitans, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the Roman Catholic Church, which has the Pope and the Cardinals and the bishops and the archbishops and so forth. And then everybody else is just laity, common man. Well, we don't believe that anyone is common. We all have a responsibility and a voice in carrying things forward for the Lord that we are supposed to be loving. Amen? Jesus said, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, and there you have that word, Nikao again, to victor over. Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God? Lord, I am so thankful that you overcame for us, that you give us the victory. And Lord, we claim that victory today. And again, Lord, we would just remind you that we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.